Thanks for listening to the Gray Ave Podcast, a show for driven young people with big goals. We meet inspiring people from around the world and learn from them, from entrepreneurship, health, travel, lifestyle, and more. We are also on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Rate and write us a review. You can also download each episode on www.grayjabesi.com. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up? My name is Gray, and this is the Gray App Podcast, a show where I go around and try to find the most inspiring, innovative, creative, interesting, and influential people from around the world and try to learn from them. So these people could come from the worlds of entrepreneurship, travelers, uh, scientists, filmmakers, athletes, entertainers. Uh, the line of people is endless, but uh, what I do is to f- find the unicorns among those areas and try to learn uh, from them and see what makes them who they are. And today is no different. We have Robin Ferrer from Cape Town, South Africa. She's an entrepreneur, speaker, and people connector in tech and innovation. So she is the CEO of Kato, which is K-A-T-O. And if you're in Cape Town and you're tech savvy, then you should be able to know who Robin is. Or at least you have probably heard of her once or twice because she's like one of the most active people right now in the tech side of things. So we talked about her story on how she founded the company. And, you know, we went into all the business details on uh, um, finding investors and stuff like that. And then went into the events that she's hosting because she is the person behind some of the um, most influential tech events in Cape Town right now, like Tech Talk CBT, Arduino Cape Town, Modern Alchemist, Women in Tech, and she's also a partner of Curiosity Campus, which is um, like a tech hub that teaches people different tech skills from like Python programming and all these kind of things. So you can find the links to everything that I've mentioned in the description, aka show notes, uh, as well as as well as everything that was mentioned in the podcast conversation with Robin. You don't have to be technical to listen to it. It's pretty much a story uh, and, you know, just um, opinions and ideas. And um, we also went into the story of building an app. I get so many dings about like, oh, how do I go about building an app and stuff like that? So I I asked Robin about it. And she's the right person to talk about that. And she shared on how you can approach it, whether you're technical or you're not. So I hope you find it helpful, as I did. And FYI, the next podcast is with Jeff White, who is uh, the visual effects supervisor from ILM or Industrial Light and Magic. He was the visual effects supervisor on Kong, the movie that just got out recently. He was also the visual effects supervisor on Avengers, on Star Wars, and a couple of other cool films, Transformers. So that's coming up next after after this, which is next week. And uh, what you can do is just subscribe to the Grey Ave podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or via the website, and then you receive all these podcasts once they're out. So remember to also give me a five star review on iTunes and subscribe to it. I really appreciate it. Uh, other than that, stay unicorning and stay awesome.
No, no, no. I used to live here. Now I live oh. by the seaside, which is nicer. That's why. Where is the waterfront? Oh no, I live stay in Camps Bay. Oh, so okay, very, very nice moving yeah. from town to Camps Bay. Okay, so very, I'm very lucky. I'm looking for a new place, but I don't think of Camps Bay that much. I no, but I think that's what people don't think, and then you get apartments for like eight grand. Because mm. um, they have apartments in Camps Bay. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Thing is, I still like the intensity of the city a little bit. Just like to be close, yeah. I can walk to a lot of. And you can walk everywhere here. Oh yeah. Whereas yeah. you always have to drive or and catch public transport if you're coming. Yeah, and I hate driving. I, I mean, I still drive from here, going home sometimes. Where's still. home? Here, I mean. Um, oh, so home. I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then if I have to drive there, it's still a nightmare. Uh, In the morning, there's a little bit of traffic, you know, and all these things. Yeah. I'm just gonna get a bike soon. I love living in the city because you just walk everywhere. Yeah, except if it's in the city, city as you said. Yeah. When you said home, I thought you meant like where your family is. Because my friends always like, they, they don't call their flats home. It's like my flat and mm-hmm. then home is where mom is. Oh. That's why I was like, where's home? I think it's a South African thing. Yeah. Uh, are you South African? Yes. Uh, like where you, are speak, you, you speak Afrikaans? Kind of. I, I did Afrikaans in Kosa at school, but like... How does that happen that you're South African but you don't speak Afrikaans? No, I mean, I kind of... Because I'm, I'm not good at languages. So I, okay. I did Kosa and Afrikaans at school, and then um, I just suck And I did French. Hmm. But did you, did, you grow up, did you grow up here? I grew up here. Yeah. I mean, I can understand Afrikaans. I don't speak Afrikaans. I, I can go like, yeah, I can understand you. But like that's you know I'd rather you can talk to people in English and they can speak Afrikaans back. So right, but like my point is, I'm not from here, so I still don't understand. If I I grew up in Malawi, so if I grew up there, it means well, primarily I have to speak the local language there. It just works like that. So like, did you grow up in a household where you speak English all the time? Oh yeah, I grew up in an English household, mm. but as well, it it yeah. Sadly, because of apartheid, everyone speaks English. Mm. So even if you know, well, English or Afrikaans, I guess you go to like the middle of nowhere and people um, can't speak English, but that speak Afrikaans. But um, generally, anyone that communicates with you, you can communicate back in English, which is awful. (laughs) Yeah, I do get that sometimes you get to an airport or wherever you go and they speak to you in with Afrikaans, or in my case, I would speak me in Zulu if I'm in Gurbe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Speak, speak to me in Kosa and I don't speak any of them. Yeah. It's kind of hard. Anyway, let's get started with yes. you. How do you want to do it? Do you want me to just sit forward? I don't know. Oh, yeah. oh okay. You could sit forward a little bit. Like, how do you want to... That's up to you. <laughs> cool. Okay, then let's start with... Um, I, <clears throat> I know a little bit of the, of the story. Okay. Of your background, but let them just cover it up for the audience who have no idea who, who you are. Okay. Mm. Um, are, are we recording? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have been recording ever since. So. Oh, really? I didn't know. That. Yeah. Uh, so now people know I can't speak Afrikaans. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, oh, the story. Okay. So my story is kind of long, it's a little bit detailed, but um, I. I guess the things that I'm known for is that I run tech communities. I run one, um, the first one that was around was Arduino Cape Town. So this is based off a little 
microcontroller, which is basically like a small computer that you can connect sensors to. Right. Um, it's the easiest and quickest way to explain that. So you can build little robots, you can build hardware prototypes very easily, and you don't need to have a background in um, electronics or coding, but you need to be enthusiastic in order to use it. Um, and then from there, I created a community that um, it's more of a maker community. So a maker community is where people have different skills and they love understanding how things work from the bottom up. So whether it means breaking something down and creating something new um, or creating something new from scratch. But the big thing is that they like to swap skills with each other and collaborate. So I built a community around that because basically the Arduino Cape Town was too electronics based. Right. And I wanted people from completely different backgrounds, from completely different skills working together because I believe there are huge benefits in that. And then um, and then I created a group called Women in Tech Cape Town um, because there weren't enough women attending these events still. And a big thing, as I mentioned, is to get people from all different backgrounds in a room and basically because we're all the same, we're all human, but the big thing is is that we experience life differently. Right. So when it comes to solving a problem or creating something, everyone will bring a unique solution, um, especially if you have different people in the room. And on top of that, I run a company called Cato, which is a tech company, but we um, focus on hardware. Mm. And it's really cool. We've built hardware prototypes in the past. And at the moment, um, we've kind of changed everything because Cato essentially um, is the umbrella for these communities, or the communities have stemmed from there. They, um, uh, Cato has opened this platform where people, it's almost like a portal where people can submit um, inventions that they've made. So essentially people in the community should be creating great things like interactive games, um, like interactive board games, interactive uh, clothing, interactive art. Um, and we want to give them this portal where they can submit it and we can go, this is absolutely amazing. This can turn into a business, this can turn into a product. We'll help you take it to market right. and find funders for you, give you the business skills to take this further so that people are essentially turning their hobbies into their businesses. <laughs> All right. Um, how many have, have there, or what are the ones that you're proud of for now? So this literally has only happened in the last two months. So it's right. very new and we're still getting submissions. So we probably on average get um, like two submissions a week. So it's not actually a lot, but in all fairness, this is, it's new. People don't know that that's what the company is about. Um, and we're also trying to open it up globally so people submit stuff. But in the past, the kind of projects that we've built, um, so it's quite exciting. We're, we're working on uh, Facebook's 360 camera, which is an open source camera. So that was built in Johannesburg at the workshop there and we're busy upgrading it. So, and we're working alongside Facebook to do this. Basically this camera is um, 17 small cameras like put together in this yeah. beautiful um, sphere. Um, it looks like a UFO and then below it, it converts um, the cameras from USB into fiber optics, which then goes to this giant computer, which looks like those satellite computers in movies, mm -hmm. um, which then converts that um, and connects it to a RAID where it stores it into these hard drives. And um, we're trying to go like this, oh, there's also a generator powering everything. So we're trying to go, let's get rid of everything besides the cameras. And we're trying to connect it so that they just, it's sitting internally and there's hardware just sitting where the cameras sit and you've got one device to move. So that's a project that's very exciting. Yeah, it sounds complex. <laughs> okay, before we get to that, then 
how your background isn't actually in tech or like you've never been a coder or maybe you do now but no my background is in audio Okay. Um, oh, that's why you asked about audio and you said, I was like, what's, what's with how with audio and stuff? No, no, my background is in audio and I, I did, um, t it's quite a complicated um, background, I guess, because people immediately are like, oh, you record bands. And that's mm. definitely the one thing I can't do is I cannot hook a band. But, like, I could do it better than a person off the street, yeah. but we didn't learn how to do, like, production, like, studio production. Um, so what my background is, is um, composition. I did instrumental composition, jazz, jazz composition, piano and performance. And then I did electronic music and electronic composition, which then starts going into coding. Right. So I was doing code, because you basically break sound down into sound waves, which is um, easy, easiest to control when you do it in code, because it's all data that you're picking up. Right. And, um, I did this and then started realizing, well, if this is data I'm picking up, I can connect it to electronics because essentially electronics pick up data and it's all numbers at the end of the day. Um, so that's what my background's in. At the end, I did my master's in interactive sound installations. Right. So you've always been interested in music. Like make, making the, have you ever made music before or you were just like the engineering side of sound? Uh, no, no, no. It's um, com composition. composition. Always oh, okay. composition. Okay. No, so that's no like writing and... Yeah, so I did notation writing for instruments and then the electronic side. Um, so similar to how you've got the sound waves sitting there, I would manipulate them in specific ways mm -hmm. um, using different filters. Um, and then the other side was the composition within an, an audio environment where the audience can, can touch sensors and it changes right. the sound. And then from there, how did you convert to the to I lived in the UK and I came back home and I was like, cool, well, the one thing I can do is I can do sound for games because um, I was doing some sound for games and some independent films. So it's like, right, I'll get into the sound industry and be all well, post-production and yeah. do the audio. But it's very hard here because you have guys that have done it for years. Um, they didn't necessarily study it. They've worked their way up mm -hmm. and because you worked your way up and they minimal people doing it yeah they it's very far that they will um back down so i realized this and i was like nah you know what like i'm good at it i enjoy it but like i'm not willing to have that fight especially in south africa where i don't know how big the market is yeah um so i kind of stopped and then figured out for like two years two three years what i wanted to do and i did some coding for a digital agency mm. they were really nice they taught me back in code what were you coding there <laughs> we were building websites and like, because um, I could do front end, and I was helping with mailers mm. and um, like the digital agencies kind of like send out, uh, it's kind of like these long pamphlets of the things they've done that year for different awards. Mm. So I'd help like code that front end, but I was learning um, .NET, which right. is not a pretty language. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then did you have any idea of saying you're you're doing sound but then you want to move into tech and then you your approach is like well i'm not really that technical i'm not really quote-unquote a coder but like i still want to get into the tech side or it just happened no it kind of it just happened very very slowly um i guess when you're excited about something it doesn't mm. feel like it's slow though but what happened was um 
So I essentially, I, I came back here and I did do some of my art as exhibitions and mm. it's seen as art, even Music? though for me it's sound, sound art. Yeah, sound. So I did sound art, but at galleries and because people can walk into an environment, touch things and yeah. it's this experience. Um, and so, it, sorry, so you, you made the sound for those kind of I'd experiences? I'd record the sound, edit the sound, um, and then I'd connect all the sensors, um, then code whatever the sensors are picking up to manipulate the sound in a specific way. Yeah, I saw some of your like balloon stuff. And yeah, yeah, so yeah, like with the balloons, for example, I'd have to go record church bells um, and then edit the different church bell sounds, but then manipulate it in code that when someone pulled a balloon, that the sense is picking up, have they pulled it? How far have they pulled it? Yeah. How much are they holding it? So that it, the sound reacts exactly like a church bell reacts. Sure. Um, so I would have to do all those steps. And so what happened was when I moved back to Cape Town, I started Arduino Cape Town because when you're in university, you have access to different departments. Yeah. Um, but actually the department I was in was a mush of um, coders, engineers, uh, musicians, and the course that we were on basically combined science and technology with creativeness. Mm -hmm. So I was very lucky. And um, I came back here and I was like, I don't know people that are uh, engineers and yeah. coders. And I kind of had this fear that like, I won't be able to do it without them. Mm. So I created the group and that grew. And then someone found me and asked me to do a TEDx talk yeah. about how tech has progressed to the point that um, you don't need to know electronics or coding in order to develop things. Sure, and so sure. basically I was talking about the Arduino board and how great it is that mm. you can do that. And essentially everything kind of just grew from there where, um, yeah, one thing le leads to another and people are like, that's so great that you don't need to study electronics. Yeah. And so it's like, well, this is great. More people can do it. Cool. Yeah. Because a friend of mine who introduced me to, to Cato, which is your company, just said like, um, I think he sent me some texts like, uh, there's this other lady from Cato, like she's not really a tech lady, but like she's hosting all these tech events and make cool shit, you must just check her out. <laughs> yeah. And then I went there and it was really good. But so I think most people refer to that when they're talking about you, like, okay, well, she's um, the technical, well, it's like the, you, you're trying to combine tech people and those who are not like highly technical as well. I think that's one of your projects it's all about. Like what is it? It's the the makers, is it Maker Studio? Yeah, so like with the Modern Alchemist, um, essentially, essentially it is that. Like a yeah. huge umbrella thing is just making people more aware. Like you don't, um, you don't need to have a technical background. Things are so user-friendly these days that you mm. can teach yourself how to code. Yeah. Um, or find someone down the road that can do it and the same with electronics so that is essentially one of the things i guess within the company side it's it is a lot more technical and we will use sure. um we work with engineers that are experts in their field so that side but the side that's front facing for like um the public course, is a yeah. lot more yeah. yeah and it is sad because i haven't done used electronics in ages but like the extent i was using it before i started kato um I did know some technical things and I am kind of technical, but now oh, I'm like, okay. I feel like I can't say that. So your friend's oh. right, but I'm like, <laughs> I hate that that's gone. <laughs> it's like I I'm know, more right? admin -y. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it automatically goes away. Should make time for it. Um, and then, okay. I'll let you drink water first. Oh, you can talk. <laughs> okay. Um, so 
when you're after you you did all that like i understand how cool it is to actually use sensors and make sounds and all that all that stuff but who would pay you to do that well okay so that was the big thing when i did the interactive art yeah um i mean uh because I would write papers alongside it, mm. I would get invited to conferences and right. they would cover costs half the time. Also because in that line of work, there may be 15 girls in the whole world that are doing that sort of stuff, mm. um, if that. So they're very happy to have a girl come along. Um, so you get funding quite easily for that. So initially it was funding and then when it was turned into art, like in galleries, mm. I actually, and one of the reasons I guess I haven't done that for ages is um, because the one curator at a gallery said to me, your art's not sellable. You create experiences and um, I can't make money off you. So yeah. he was like, it's really nice to have your stuff here, but like, it's nice. <laughs> what, what a very honest guy. <laughs> no, he, well, he's a family friend and he's, he, he didn't really say it like that. He was like, you need to adapt your model mm. because you could be making so much money if you figure out how to sell your art. Sure. And I guess I was very much like, I don't, I don't want to sell it like it's my passion it's not a money maker for me right so i didn't make money off it oh but I, did I, it intend did you intend it to at, at some in some ways no no never i just love doing it and i like it's yeah i guess i i really really miss it <laughs> so it's like talking about like an ex and i'm like i really <laughs> it's the one thing i regret <laughs> is that i don't still do that um but no what ends up happening is it's, it feels so much more natural that you have an idea mm. and you're like, I just need to create this and I'll create it like that. And, um, and those things just kept being built and made. And when I started like focusing on, on, um, on the community more, there's just so much of my time that's taken and focusing on the business that you essentially have to go, well, I need to cut out a lot of my life yeah. for a few years to get this off the road. So... How many years has it been now with that? Um, the company's three years old, but since I've done something like interactive with audio, it's been about four years, but I have, it's been, oh, no, I did, I got invited on a project last year to do mm. audio stuff. So that's been like six months. Yeah. Um, yeah, but nothing intense. So what did you have to sacrifice like to do all this now? Oh, uh, I, I used to bake a lot. I don't bake anymore. I don't. Don't really see many of my friends, <laughs> which like is really but bad. But you're at. active on Facebook, so I guess they get to see you there. They, they see me there, but I'm active, not on a personal level. It's more yeah. work. Yeah. Um, sure. No, I mean, I do, I do see friends, but um, I don't, I guess I don't have the relationships that I had with them when I worked a nine to five, because it's not a nine to five. You, yeah. Yeah. It's like all the time. Yeah, it's I like if if someone, for example, um, I have a few meetings on the weekend and I kind of have to adjust lunch with a friend and mm. she was like, you should not work after 6 p.m. or on weekends. And I was like, yeah, but it's different. Like, it, it doesn't feel like a meeting. So. Do you get that backlash with texting as well, like communicating with people? Like if you don't reply sometimes because you get so busy and then you're like somebody like, oh, kind of up upset about it uh friends or work friends people are, i would say friends work people to me doesn't quite kind of, matter that much when it's work you know um look i'm not i i really really hate communicating over text i prefer okay. communicating on the phone right. so but yes like phone calls 
Phone calls. I hate phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> the majority of the world doesn't. The thing is, like, I don't proofread things before I send them, like text messages mm. or emails. So it ends up not making sense because they're spelling mistakes. The, like, it just everything. I literally just type and send. So there's a lot of, like, miscommunication. <laughs> and right. um, if it's a work one, I'll read it over. But it, it's very frustrating for friends. But I don't think it's because I don't respond immediately. I mm. think it's more because I just never respond. Or when I respond, they don't understand what I mean. So, yes. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Then how, how, would they, how was the transition from uh, sound to now building the organization or the companies? How do you now mean it's like, like a, a startup venture right now? These, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you, but do you mean you, on a you, personal level or yeah, like time-wise technically level? <laughs> no, 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 on a personal level, like technically, how did you do it? Oh, you want to know okay, how, how I did, did you, it? How did you build the company? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it kind of happened naturally. I never went, I want to start a company. I'm going to have a startup. I also, when people will talk to me about business stuff, I'm like, I don't study business, I don't know that stuff, but like literally in the last year, I've been like, actually, I know a lot of stuff that people go to university to study about business. Sure. Um, which is interesting, because I've always been like, I don't know about business. Um, so what happened was I went to the Bandwidth Barn, the co-working space in Woodstock, yeah. and I said to them, I believe you have a really nice space, um, would you host one of our events for Arduino Cape Town? We want to have monthly meetups. And the guy did you I say met, we or did you have co-founders already? No, we as in the community. Okay. So this this was just Arduino Cape Town. And okay. I was like, um and then the guy like said, I want to meet you and sit down with you. And like we had a really nice meeting. He's such a nice guy, his name's Chris. And he um he was like, you know, we'll happily have your events here, but you have to um you have to host and run your business here and then i was like uh, i don't have a business i just work from home i was actually in between jobs and kind of taking on any work i could get but i was waiting for like my ideal job to come along because i was like i want to grow with the company and like essentially not see myself leaving versus taking a job for three months which right. was the situation i always found myself in um and he was like, well, start a company. We'll sponsor desk space for you. We'll sponsor your company. Um, just register it and like send us a name. So I was kind of um, pressurized into getting a name. And I was like, that's nah, very cool. There's like yeah. no strings attached. And I guess the only string attached was now we had a space to host our events. So that's how it happened. It wasn't like I sat down and had to <laughs> plan things out. Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, yeah, financially, it, it was very stressful for the first two years. And then I was very lucky to get an investor on board. Um, yeah. But wh why did you why do you think this this guy was that interested? The first one? Yeah. Chris. To, um, to make this whole thing happen, though, to say, go register, blah, blah, blah. I have no, I, I have no idea. He... Um, was it the pitch? I didn't pitch anything. I was just like, we want to hold our meetups here. We're yeah. an electronics community, but like... We're lacking having a space to talk to each other. Like we'll yeah. go to restaurants, it's too noisy. And I I have no idea. Like, I, I mean, I can ask him because I did see him a year ago and I was like, do you remember that you yeah. like, and then he was like, yes, I remember you. Yeah. But I've never, I've seen him twice my whole life. So, wow. Yeah. That's very impressive. Like, <laughs> yeah. Very, like a, like a break, I would, I would say, in some ways. <laughs> kind of. It's more that like he's really busy and he's never around. So. Yeah. I never saw him when I was there. And from there, how did you move to Calvin? Hey, hi, uh, hi. Um, I 
So oh, I, sorry uh, to the listeners, Caledon is the street that your company is based on, right? Yes. Yes. So well, actually, now we're also based in Johannesburg and Hong Kong. Okay. So nice. it's a lot bigger now, which is cool. Or under your belt? Sorry. Everything under your belt right now, like you're the CEO. Yes. Nice. So yeah, but that that expansion was thanks to an investor that came on board. Sure. Um, which was also like a fate story, and um. Well, what happened was I was contacted, this guy called Neil contacted me on Arduino Cape Town and said, do you know any teachers? I know what your Arduino board is and I think that this is like the future of education and I would like some teachers. So I put him in contact with like four people that I believed would be great teachers. Every single one of them let him down. And um, so I was like, look, dude, I feel so awful. Let me see what I can do. And I'll try to put together a course for you. And so I became his first teacher and he started a company called Curiosity Campus. And then about a year and a half in, um, I kept like suggesting you need to do like course number two. You need to do programming courses. And he was like, no, nah, that doesn't really interest me. So I was like, cool, I'm going to do it. So I started doing that through Cato. And he, um, he then said like, cool, well, will you be my business partner? Mm. And I was like, yeah, awesome. Um, so we became business partners. And then he bought Caledon Street, the whole floor that we were on, right. to, um, to run Curiosity Campus. And so that's Curiosity Campus's office, offices, essentially. Mm. And that just closed down, oh, it's nearly a year ago now. We kind of put it into hibernation and only did private workshops for people like companies yeah. um, or individuals. And because um, both of us have our separate companies. So right. that's how I ended up there. Cool. So on the first year, for example, I totally don't understand how running events, how you can actually make money out of that to sustain your company. Because I guess if you set up something like that, most setups that are like um, hacker host stores or whatever that is, they, they usually have a business model to sustain them. How, do, how does yours work? Like how do you survive the first or two years? So, um, well, we're not an events company. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, we don't we don't get money off the events in any way. There's That's no there's no profit made. Okay. And the big thing is that I try and make sure that, especially with the communities, we make ends meet, mm. and there's a little bit of money left so that hopefully, like any staff that was volunteering can yeah. celebrate. So I've always been a bit like um, with the members. Like if you're here, you need to pay for your food. You need to pay for your drinks because like this isn't the money is not coming from anywhere. Sure. But also, especially when when Kato didn't have an investor. Whereas now, um, what we'll do is try supply a photographer or video, um, like video guys, a videographer, sure. just to kind of capture the event to give exposure to the different communities. Um, and the events that Kato runs, it's literally, they're just passion projects and that also, it's just to make make the co the expenses of the of the event, those ends are met, but sure. it, there's no profit. So the profit that was made was essentially doing uh, like interactive advertising campaigns for um, for advertising agencies, so interactive marketing campaigns, and um, and then prototypes for people. Right. So, which it, it's a very complicated business doing that here in South Africa, and I, I know two guys that have actually left and set it up um, in London and mm. one in Holland. And they're extremely successful and they just said, we don't know how you would do this in South Africa because there's not a high enough target market. And it, it has been an issue that essentially um, you'll 
pitch something to a client, well, they'll say, this is our problem, we need a solution. And then you come up with the solution on paper or mm. you do the first prototype and there, there's no incentive or vision for people in South Africa to see why hardware is something they need to invest in, mm, in their company. Sure. So they'd rather go like, let's just build an app instead of being like, well, you could go the hardware route and things are a lot easier where you don't essentially have to get people inputting stuff into an app, but just automatically picks it up sure. in the environment. Um, so I'm waiting for that kind of progression to also happen with businesses. It's slowly like the last year and a half, people know what Internet of Things is. So they're very happy to be like, I'm involved with the Internet of Things. And you're like, cool, that's the kind of stuff we can build. Right. Um, so that's where we're generating revenue, which is good. So it's like, do you have full-time staff or it's just like you get a budget from these companies for a project and then you kind of go out and find the right guys to do it? Yeah, so in the past, because we don't do the hardware prototyping anymore, sure. I mean, if someone needs advice, uh, we consult on it. Um, but in the past, it was just myself, and then I'd find clients, or clients would find me, and then I would basically be like, cool, well, you know, you would want a VR environment built, mm. but like, we don't have an in house VR person. There was no point ever employing one person because you'd get someone that would want something so specific that would work alongside companies and be mm. like, cool. Like it was almost um, like me project managing and liaising between these products that they wanted to be built between the client and the specialists in whatever field it needed. But also they might not understand what their solution is. Right. Whereas I can sit with them and be like, this is the solution you're looking for. I'm gonna chat with a bunch of experts and we'll see for the best thing we can come up for you. So it was outsourcing the best, yeah. Right. Um... So with VR, for example, have you, what is happening in VR in South Africa specifically? Because last year I wanted to jump into VR as in to make content for it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm still considering it, but like this too much to, to sacrifice and to consider. I just have no idea how much, uh, what's the market like, like what's the demand for VR right now content wise? Um, sure. Uh, it's very hard to say with the South African market. It also, it depends how much money, I guess, companies have it at their disposal. Mm. Um, I guess the right question would be, what are the applications that people are using VR for here? So, a lot of things. People are using it for, um, I'm trying to remember, like a, like a state agency using it. I forget what you call that industry. Um, so like houses, like viewing of houses, um, oh, buildings. So yeah. people are standing in the building, they can experience it. Um, I actually recently met a guy that was telling me they're using it in their company um, whenever they um, want to set up a wind farm somewhere, mm. they'll give their client the experience of what it feels like. So they'll put them in this VR environment where it's this virtual world mm. of the wind farm set up in the real space that they've gone and recorded. Mm. Um, and essentially clients are happier to go forward with something because they've experienced something like they've been in the space and sure. they've seen it as yeah. if it's there. Um, so it's all sorts of different things, which that then like feeds, it feeds into different things. So you can imagine if there's someone creating a wind farm virtually for their client to experience it, architects are also using it too. Yeah. Um, gaming. Gaming's, I guess gaming's the main thing because it's very easy to create these, to create environments that yeah. don't really need to be very realistic or accurate. Mm. And um, yeah, like the Facebook camera is designed to 
be the best camera to use to film for VR because they own the Oculus and right. essentially you would use this camera to view an Oculus headset. Uh, me and my friend's company, we do, that's what we build spaces for architects and interior designers. So we do like the 3D renderings. Oh, that's Very cool. realistic, we're good. Um, but yeah, I think that maybe we should think about VR spaces now. Like, okay, we build this space and we provide it because in the architecture world, the architects would need like a small video this they call it a walkthrough or it's like one camera pointing in one direction and just going around the rooms or the space and stuff it's not that exciting and you know um i think yeah vr would be a good goal like who who are the companies that are leading in that space right now like, in terms of for for architecture there's a company that's i'm gonna look at the name up because i, yeah, I sure. can never pronounce it properly um but he actually did our, our talk last week. So it, it's a guy named Carrot, and he works for, how do you say it? Sato? It's like S -S the Stephen Anthony, S-A-O-T-O, -O, I think it is. Sato, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of... It's like the, the Stephen Anthony, um, he's an architect there, and he's started getting into VR game design um, and the VR architecture design. And do you say he's Anthony, his name? No, no, no. His name is Carrot. He works for the company that I think. Okay, I should chat. I should chat to this guy at one point. So it's called Tenebris. I just want to see. Yeah, he's. Yeah, Tenebris Lab. So they're doing that sort of stuff with um with the architecture. But there are a lot of people these days doing VR. I know quite a few individuals that have the HTC Vive, so the one yeah. that you can walk around in the space um at home. So I think it's become more affordable. I think that was the big thing when VR first came out, yeah. um, like twenty years ago, that it was so, like, it was so unrealistic because it was only like like five companies that could afford it and afford the setup. Right. Whereas right. now it's very easy for you to have it in your own home. I like to believe that if something works in architecture, then it's it easier transforms to other industries quite quick. I, had a, I did a podcast with Chris Nichols from Chaos Group two weeks ago. If you're familiar with the... I do know Chaos Group. Yeah, They're yeah. Very cool. uh, so Chris is the director of the company. He's the guy that actually pushed global illumination technology from the architecture side of things into the film when you moved to visual effects. Oh, wow. So I guess it happens again with, with VR. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think it's more like a... Do you think this time VR is here to stay or it's going to go back again because back in the day I heard it kind of came out and then it didn't quite work and it went back. So yeah, a big reason why it, it didn't hit everyone was because it was too expensive. Yeah. But hardware is a lot cheaper these days. Right. Um, it's a lot more powerful so you can actually run the VR on computers. They still have to be pretty powerful depending on what headset you're using. But I mean, you can use the, the Samsung one, the Samsung Gear yeah. with your phone. Exactly, um, like the Google Cardboard and stuff like that as well. Yeah, so it's a lot more you like, it's a lot more widespread. It's cheaper, so it's a it's like hitting consumers mm. versus just giant companies. So I I mean saying like it's here to stay is one thing because it's like what's what's here to stay? Do you mean like in a hundred years time? Because I don't know. Well, Challenges. but I mean just becoming a a reliable technology that's like everyday use pretty much. What would be a good example? Mm -hmm. Like TV. Like TV, yeah. Yeah, well, I would because say there, so. there are things like uh, 3D TV that didn't quite work. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I would say, 
I I I do think so. I know that people are like, oh, AR is um, AR is essentially going to be the thing that that people just uh, AR. It's augmented reality, right? Sorry, yeah, augmented yeah. Not, reality. <laughs> not the whole audience. It's very technical. So yeah, so that's like Pokemon Go. Um, or like when you put your phone over something, suddenly. Um, when you look through your phone, it it puts it on as if it's a camera. So it's like you're going to take a photo, but suddenly there will be this virtual thing happening on your phone. Mm. Um, so, for example, for product placement, you um, you can have like you'll look at like your Nest Cafe, put your phone over it with the camera, and then suddenly your Nest Cafe turns into like um, it might be the box that turns into coffee. Um, right. but that only happens on your phone so it's this augmented it's reality but they're just changing it yeah. whereas the virtual reality is a completely new space yeah um, so some people believe that that AR the augmented reality would be more um, like <laughs> the words are slipping me but like higher uh, people would would um, adapt to that more and prefer that right, versus right, VR right. Um, but I don't know I mean because there's this huge thing of well, essentially, you could have, and it will be extremely realistic one day, mm-hmm. but you could have an employee that's working extremely hard in like a tiny little box all the time, also lives in a tiny box because imagine things um, like cities are so dense. Yeah. So um, you need this escape. And instead of them having to take like a week off, I mean, it's not that your boss would decide this, but you would decide like, I can't really take a week off like this evening. I'd like to go to Hawaii. Mm. Sorry, I'm going to sneeze. So you could do that with a VR headset. Excuse me. Or is. Yeah, so there's one side that I'm like, I can see those sorts of things happening, but I... Right. So speaking of your events right now, who should, who should attend them? Like what kind of people are you looking for? So the <laughs> it, it is aimed at absolutely anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, the, the tech talks are aimed at people that... Um, that are just interested in whatever the topic is. We try literally when we when we market it, yeah. we'll try target people from industries that aren't tech based. And we right. also try to do monthly talks on different topics. So like medical things, we'll do gaming, we'll do um, like maybe currencies and what's going on with currencies. So mm. we'll target every single time a different audience. But we also try to target people that like are interested in like first Thursdays, for example, that yeah. they just, the average person on the street because we're really trying to be like you need to understand what this tech's about and what's happening on the other end of the world or right here that you didn't even know about Um, so that's a big thing that we do but what does tend to happen is we'll get experts that come in and then speakers and we ask them to really bring it down so for example we did one and the speaker had to explain AR is this and like break it down the way I did right and you'll get people in the audience that will then be like, you know, I'm an expert in AR. I wanted something more technical. And you're like, yeah, but the event isn't that platform. So that then leads to where we have the communities, where we have Arduino Cape Town, Modern Alchemist, and Women in Tech, where we will get more technical. Yeah. And we'll kind of like brush over the, we'll quickly summarize the very brief things sure. and then get extremely technical because essentially we're like, you've come to this platform because you are an expert or you have the knowledge and you're a bit more geeky than the majority of people in the other event. So it's not all geeks and nerds? No, not the sp- definitely not the tech talk and the women in tech neither. Like there are a lot of mm. people from different walks of life. But the modern alchemist, yeah, it's definitely, that's definitely a geeky yeah. one. 
So I guess then your business it's 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 such a big bait on like to bait on like the future more futuristic technologies in a place where it's not really that advanced, like you say in hardware especially. And so where you just like holding them say well let's just hope uh, things change more quickly then we we become more profitable or grow that fast or well i think the because our business model has changed and we're not doing services for clients anymore um it's a bit different on how we are uh generating revenue mm. and the big thing is uh, it's the way i see our company and the way i see kato growing and the communities is essentially i want us to be the portal for um, connecting us to different tech communities globally right. and we're essentially the African connection for people sure. um, right now we're just based in South Africa in terms of Africa but that people know like well if I need to come to South Africa and I need to know who the experts are in oh, VR yeah. I need to know this and this that essentially we can go like that's great we can connect you with them but more importantly is because we're exposing people that otherwise wouldn't have exposure to this sort of technology that we can also teach them how they can start developing it themselves and creating these products yeah. and then going like, great, well, you can, we can create this for you and turn this into a company, but we can also take this on a global scale. Um, and so that's essentially what, what the vision is, is it is literally yeah. trying to expose people to as much tech and almost letting them just go like, let your imagination go wild because sure. you can create solutions. Oh yeah, that's incredible. I think there there isn't so much of that in South Africa. I can say just like where people would be allowed to go crazy with their ideas and just build stuff. Yeah, not many of them. So is that like um, an incubator type of ad- yeah, approach? Yeah, essentially more of an accelerator because you'll take something and um, and helps like push someone in the dira- right direction versus yeah. keeping them in space for like three. Yeah three weeks or like three months or is it a difference between an incubator and accelerator (laughs) slightly they're a little they are similar um so essentially an accelerator you're helping someone gain whichever skills they need to push Mm. it forward sure whereas an incubator like like mentoring or you might also just be like you need to work on this and this and you need funding you need this we'll give you access to specific things yeah and you can also have the environment where someone's goes on a course to do whatever cool. whereas an incubator is almost seen like you are part of that space for a while mm. and you are connected to them like so maybe your company is part of like the bandwidth barn is isn't more of an incubator sure. and you guys are all part of the space you're connected to it you go on workshops together you you can attend events and you're almost part of a community yeah versus maybe being um accelerator you are like i said you're still connected like an incubator but it can be a lot more um, dispersed than being like you're set in an environment in a way. I guess a good example to the listeners would be, I think Y Combinator is an accelerator, right? They are, but they also have the incubation section. A good example of the incubator is you have to watch Silicon Valley, the, the TV show. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, I think, good example of an incubator. Yeah, or it's also, um, oh, I'm trying to think of like an everyday life thing. I mean, also, like I said, my background isn't, isn't in business. So yeah. um, I don't know like all these startup terms, but I, I know because we consider ourselves more of an accelerator where we can yeah. push your business forward. Um, but I guess it's almost the difference between doing online courses and getting what you need versus going and 
going and doing right. a set workshop for a while where you're kind of... Um, cool. And then how does... I'm, I'm, I'm now want to learn business now. <laughs> how do you get investors, for example, for your business? How, did you like went for VCs or... No, I literally... I'm very lucky. I had someone approach me and they right. just said, I've been watching you and what you do for a while and I want like in on this. So... Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm extremely lucky uh, to one extent then you have this like imposter syndrome of like oh, I'm gonna be caught out for like but I'm I know I work my ass off and I'm good at what I do but um, It's also that if I'm ever at the point where I need to find investors I don't know how that process goes because I was very lucky, but right. I'm sure I'll face it oh, So how did did well if you're running your own gig? You're doing your own things and whatever, whatever and then if an investor comes it kind of change, changes to a, few, to, to a whole different game. Like I've seen a few guys, close friends maybe, who were running a startup and then on their own, kind of like a small business, then the investor come, it turns into now all documents and lawyers and all these kind of things. How did you transition to you? Um, well, I mean, you know, essentially, essentially business mm. is a relationship like whether it's with your clients your customers or right. the people that are investing with you and you you sit down and you discuss what it is that you want where it is you see things going mm. which is actually weird because i find people don't do this in their personal relationships right. you never sit with your friend and go like what does friendship mean to you where do you <laughs> see this going like are we going to hang or are you going to be like my shoulder to cry on yeah and you don't do that um in, in a love relationship either it's very rare to right. sit and do that whereas when it comes to business, you'll sit down and be like, you know what, like I, this is where I see the company going. This is why I see it going that way. Um, but essentially you've got to be like, at the end of the day, we're making money. Like that's what our aim is. Um, and you sit down and if the person has the same goals and aims as you, or you're willing to adapt to them and they're willing to adapt to you, that's then when a contract is put out where it would be right, this is where we see the business going, this is what my responsibilities are. If they're putting this amount of money in, I have to see that they, their investment is um, basically returned, but at however much profit right. um, within X amount of time. So that's the sort of stuff that happens. It's not, um, it shouldn't be as daunting and terrifying. I think when it is, is when you haven't, when you've signed something and you haven't read it. Whereas yeah, I think sure. it's, it's not this huge jump. I do know that when people get terrified is when their company turns into something that they didn't want. Yeah, sure. But essentially you're in that meeting and things don't need to go that way. So you can be mm. like, I, I want it this way. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you did it in a very smooth way on your side. No. I'm, I'm really lucky with the guy that, that invests in my company. He's, he's lovely and we actually didn't really go down that route. We just spoke about where things were going, how mm. they're changing. And it's, it is a constant thing that you're like, is this working? That isn't working. We need to change it. So it's not that you are like, in five years time we'll be here because you might start working on something. You're like, this isn't working. Yeah. So then you're like, it's not working. I'm going to take this approach. Cool. I've tried three different approaches to get that, to get us to end goal. It's not working. We need to look at like a different way. Right. So it's just that constant thing that's always happening, which is, um, Literally, it's it's like it's like a relationship. <laughs> um, do you think he invested in you or in the company? Um, the, the, what do you think of his choice? I well, I thought he was investing in the company, but I did 
because I spoke to some friends of mine that are in business or mm. are angel investors and I was like this has happened I need your advice and they were like he's investing in you just so you know I don't think he right. really cares about the company as much as where I would take something and where I'd put it um but I think essentially what ends up coming with the company is all the communities mm. um so I don't think it's just me I think it's that it's the communities and the communities I've built up and the relationships yeah so yeah I wouldn't say it's me but it's all of that yeah yeah uh and where do you see in the next like two five years I don't I know that's probably a very tough question in the in your, in the, in your industry where things always change up but like what's your goal your goal or your margin what you're trying to aim for um no it's it's not a it's not a hard question to ask because essentially that's how you need to see things <laughs> um, otherwise why are you getting up every morning um so oh it's a little bit complicated uh, so what happens is with the communities they've been registered as mpos um mpo what does that mean non-profit organization all right so most people say NGO, NGO, NGO but yeah. we're just an MPO. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> you don't make a profit. Um, so we, we've registered those. Um, they're committees that are now running them. So the big thing was to, for me to be like, I don't need to be here. And their committees running them and it's more community orientated. And what we're trying to do now is get sponsors for those um, committees to, so we can get our own office, our own office space, which is the communities. But a big thing is, is that people can walk in and they have someone to talk to. And because a big thing that happens is we get people asking questions on Facebook or emailing going, I'm looking at getting into VR. How do I do this? Do you know anyone I could connect to? And we need full-time staff that's working on that. And also regarding the women empowerment side. So we want to build that platform as well as try to expand it across South Africa and Africa. Um, where it's essentially a support system, but as well educating people on very specific topics, which um, uh, perhaps, well, sadly, as you know, like the, un the education system here is not very good. Um, mm -hmm. The universities aren't running um, as smoothly as they could. And um, the other thing is it's uh, for someone who's an expert in like machine learning, for example, can come in and teach like a three-week course mm. um, on the latest um, progression or technology in sure. that field you can't necessarily get access to at university because they've got to approve it and there's a whole yeah. process so essentially it's this like micro learning where you are giving people access to skills mm. that are extremely useful for this day and age so from there is getting the communities and individuals being more self-sufficient and building solutions whether it's coding whether it's whatever it is and from there, we can take those products, help them. Um, so from that community side, it's it's that, like getting it more established as as a spot where people can go and getting people building things. Um, and then from there, essentially, Kato would be like, great, well, we can connect you with different people globally. Mm -hmm. And that's a very big thing. And what I'm doing at the moment is, because um, I, I have international connections, but it's actually expanding that and being like, feed off the company. Um, because we need to give people opportunities here and we need to make it a lot easier and bridging that gap. So I guess in five years time, it means that we've got these places set up. We've got them set up around South Africa and Africa, but as well that Kato has helped people take their products to market. And we have, oh, in five years, I mean, <laughs> let's say like, um, if we had like a hundred companies that we, had help take to market, there's probably going to be like 
like a 20 percent um chance like 20 percent of them will be successful and run with it so right. if we have like 20 companies or 40 companies in five years time that have come through us and are successful then that's a great thing to achieve in five years cool and i get people asking me all the time like um i want to build an app or blah 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 like is your space a very good start or a very good place to go with that kind of approach? yeah and um adding to that would you explain the process of building an app to like an average person who have no technical knowledge at all because uh, most people always ask me on facebook oh dude i want to build an app of this idea or well, which they're more excited than than they should be sometimes yeah uh, and then they're like oh how do i do it now blah 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 it says, I, you know then i don't really know exactly what to tell them so well firstly how come you get asked this well i i'm a coder myself i do a, whole, a little bunch of different things okay so i can build an app sort of uh, but then you know for people that are not very technical they don't know the differences in what you do so they just assume that you can do everything yes which is a good and a bad thing because in my work experience i would be on a job and they assume that i can do x when i cannot and then i just say yes because i don't know how to say no yeah and then i just learn it through that so it has been good but like i still get people asking me things that i <laughs> Can you build an app? Yeah. <laughs> can you build an app? Well, oh, yes, I can. But like, maybe for this idea, um, one person isn't just good enough, you know, because yeah. they have totally no idea how it works. Um, so, yeah, our platform is a great place to, to either ask or in, like inquire and say like, I want to build an app. What do I do next? Or is it possible that you run a workshop on app building, um, which we actually are looking into for the women in tech side of things. Um, but... It kind of breaks down into a few different things. Like, do you want to build an app for an iPhone? Because that's a completely different um, coding side. There are very few people that do it in South Africa. Um, Because it's it's a lot more specialized. It's a lot more... I think it's because there's so few people doing it. But there are a lot more rules that you have to abide to to be on the app store. And you also... So, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Do you have to pay to be on there? I don't think so. So but that's the, the the bureaucracy side of it, not really the technical side, right? No, it is the technical side. It's a different kind of coding. People are a lot more easier um, because you can't go to an Android app developer and be like, "Do iOS now?" They have to be like, "No, I'm not an iOS developer." It's sure. too. It's it's literally like saying do front-end and back-end coding like whereas the one's very extremely visual and easy yeah. to see and the other one is like a completely different thing sure look i don't think it's that extreme but it is like that's not what i do um so anyway so android um apparently is a lot easier i actually have never done the coding process so i can't explain it but there is an app out there called it's a, well a, a tool called app shed mm-hmm. so you actually do it online and it's it's like Wix or Squarespace with a, where it's a drag and drop. Yeah. And you go like, I want a button here. I want that there. So I suggest anyone that doesn't have a technical background uses AppShed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great. I, tr- I tried AppShed at your, one of your events. A long oh, time it was ago, years like two ago. years ago. No, years ago. It was the beginning of last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. I went yeah. with that one. It was really fun. Yeah. So that's what I would say, like to start if you don't have a technical background. Otherwise, um, yeah. Online as well, this stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, because it. look, it's, uh, yeah, I hope the listeners understand because it's the same question of, okay, I want to build an app, so maybe they can go to you on your website. Uh, how else can people find you? Um, 
Okay, so me personally is I just have my website, which is robinfarrow.com. And then from there, it actually links to everything. Otherwise, the Kato website is kato.global. And Kato, Modern Alchemist, Women in Tech, and Arduino Cape Town are extremely active on Facebook. Right. So Facebook is like a good thing. Um, and then Kato as well is website and myself. What is right. What does Kato mean? What does Kato mean? Yeah. What do you think it means? <laughs> I do know, but uh, just explain it yourself. Oh, you do know? Yeah, oh. I do know, yeah. Okay, so it stands for kick-ass technology, obviously. Okay. How did you come up with that? Um, did you come up with Kato first and say, look, let's break it down, make it no. sound very cool? No. So, as I said, when I um, got offered the space at the, the Bandwidth Barn, they said, you need to have a name. Like, yeah. you can't come here without a name. So I kind of was like, Phew, I think it was like less than a week. And I was like, I need to have a name. So I was like chatting to my brother and I love, like, I love little Japanese animations and stuff. Yeah. So I was just very like, I don't, like it needs to be cute. And I wanted to go down the like Hello Kitty route. I don't really like Hello Kitty that much, but the, those characters, I was, it's that sort of style. So I was like coming up with names and chatting to my brother. And then he was like, yeah, I'd like, no, that's awful. I was, all these Japanese names mm. or things that sounded Japanese. And then he said to me, um, but what does your company do? And then I was like, kick ass technology, obviously. <laughs> and then he was like, Kato. And I was like, what's Kato? And then he was like, it stands for kick ass technology. Obviously. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that's clever. Yeah. So it came from there. And then I was very like, whatever my company does, we need a mascot. Yeah. So I put it on this website, 99designs, yeah. where people collaborate to do designs. And uh, everyone was drawing cats. Because I said to them, I was like, in my description, I want a, like a mascot, it needs to be this figure, um, it needs to show electronics, like it needs to be hardware based. Um, yeah, and this is essentially what the company does. And then everyone is drawing cats and I was like, why are they freaking drawing cats? Like, and, <laughs> then, and then I realized the companies, so it was, cause I never said it out loud to anyone. Yeah. But yeah, so that's how I came around. Right. And then what do you do day to day these days? Day to day, mm. holy moly. <laughs> It's a combination of oh, combination of managing people, which has been a very, um, a very big hurdle for me. Um, so it's like managing people in the committees, um, which also then involves like putting everything that you do in a like task set, which can be put into a manual. Um, and then also, uh, meeting with people a lot. So I meet with different clients. I'll meet with different, um, individuals, different people that are maybe in our community and have questions, people that want to be part of the committee. Um, I speak a lot at different events. I do consulting to people <laughs> and I will also attend events to network because a big thing that we are going to be setting up is, um, so there's the two sides that because we want sponsors for our community, I'm trying to meet with as many people that I feel can fit with our sponsorship right. um, criteria. And then the other side is trying to meet with big corporations that have problems that they need to be solved so that we can run hackathons for them and get the community to start working on real world problems right. that essentially these corporates can invest, um, can put the money into that we can help them with. Clever. So it's a lot of stuff, and then there's emails. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, nobody wanna. Yeah, and accounts. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about women in tech, but yeah. I don't know if you have enough time for that. Oh no, I don't. I'm not doing anything afterwards. So cool. We can talk. Sounds good. Um, 
why do you think there's not enough number of women in tech? I think I know this is a subject even in Silicon Valley right now where it's like even though it's changing. Yeah. But especially in Africa obviously it's worse. Like very It's a lot worse here. Yeah. Um it's a lot worse here and we're very different, which is which was a huge eye opener for me last year and um it's something I always try like bring up when I do meet people or speak to people about it. Um right. so I think a big thing why why it is different is um Oh, sorry. Why? Why are there few women in tech? Um, okay, the, the most obvious and like the saddest thing, which I'm lucky. I think I've only faced this like once or twice, is men. Um, I guess <laughs> men, <laughs> men are a bit sexist, and they don't believe that women can do things as well as they can. So when a woman is put into their environment, um, they kind of. I guess they they treat them in a very degrading manner, which isn't very um, great for women. Um, there are a lot of aspects like that. So you might get a woman that has that has studied like something in the tech industry, like coding, gaming, um, electronics, and then they find themselves in a job which is a purely male environment, um, which can either have those sorts of people, which are very much like you're a woman. Can you really do this? All yeah. um, guys do that, and they're not even aware that they're doing that. Um, or it can just become a male environment, which a girl doesn't really want to be in. Mm. So you get women, I believe, dropping out for those sorts of reasons. Um, what also happens is women will start being very technical, but because, um, like, and without generalizing, but there, there is a trait of women where they, I mean, they're mothers, they have that, that natural sense of nurturing and um, a lot of them will tend to go into a role of communicating with people more yeah. and they will know the technical side of being in the technical side but some will actually step back and want to be the communication between people that don't understand the tech so maybe clients yeah. or account managers and then actually with the engineers because they feel like they can fill that gap that's not being filled so it's not necessarily that they're stepping away it's more that they're like there's a gap that's not being filled and I can do this right. and make the company more efficient so it's an interest right, right there right yeah, it's more of an interest in that they, they adapt to that. Um, but then there's also the very big issue that um, a lot of females don't get educated mm. in the STEM subjects. So like science, tech, engineering, and yeah, mathematics. mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> and there's now one with A in it. I'm trying to, oh, they put arts in there, um, which is really funny. Arts? Women are... It's, it's like saying that you should have um, like all the... the the technical topics but also include art it's a kind of a different field but they're like this um mm. yeah it's it's a new field but anyway um they just so a lot of young girls aren't shown that they don't have access to it they're not kind of given this they they don't have people to look up to um to be like i really want to be her one day because sure. she does this it's it's more normal for people to look in a magazine and be like, well, she's beautiful. Everyone always comments on how beautiful she is. Yeah. I would want to be that person. Whereas for a guy, it's very much like, whoa, did you see what he did? That's amazing. And yeah. so you're like, it's very rarely commented on what a girl does, but it's, and if she's done something, her looks are also commented on it. Like, and she's pretty, like she, she's a model, but she's also got a PhD. And then you're like, okay. why didn't she just say she could? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, okay. it, the, the thing is, I, I, and the, our women in tech community is really nice because um, the, there isn't this like, you know, just because I'm a woman in tech, don't 
don't approve of my looks or like yeah. don't mention that I'm beautiful or yeah. doesn't mean a woman doesn't want to dress nicely it doesn't mean she doesn't wear makeup or high heels I mean it means she has a choice to do that yeah. and she has a choice to be like I am beautiful or I don't really like I don't want to wear makeup that's yeah. um, and I think that's a big thing but in Africa the, the biggest thing well at least in South Africa is we have so many different cultures and the 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 girls are brought up to literally like don't really try achieve anything because you're gonna be a housewife oh, yeah, like, sure. or sadly like you'll end up being a domestic worker because that's kind of how our society works and it's it's really sad that's like, a deep-rooted problem um, especially the, the point you mentioned about well it's well the women has to look good or they should choose whether they want to look good or they shouldn't or they don't want to comment on they don't want to be commented on on Reddit, uh, it's such a big, big subject sometimes. Whereas the guys who are like coders, they'll go there and complain like, um... What, what subreddit are you on? Yeah? What subreddits do they say this on? Um, well, it would just be like on the popular subject. Oh, yeah. the I, have, I'm, I have so many subreddits, so I don't really remember which one it would be. But it's just like one, they would be like, ah, oh, so why then do you... Why... Yeah. A good example would be somebody commented on, on a girl, how good looking she is, and then she complained and I think filed for it, it reported the guy. So it's like, oh, so it's it makes it harder for guys to also be in an environment to work with women sometimes because they feel like whatever they say is going to be taken, used in against the them, way. you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's also a problem. Another one is where you say now, it's I think a double standard where if the woman is a coder, for example, or an engineer, if people base their looks on it, then it, it creates this double standard of saying, oh, well, the women that actually do well in the subjects aren't good looking anyway. I don't know if you've ever heard of stuff like that. Women com commenting that, saying, oh, well, the people that are... Oh, women that aren't in the field commenting about women that are in the field. Yeah, and they'll be like, oh, well, most women that are into that aren't really good looking anyway. Stuff like that. Yeah, but I think it's, uh, yes, so, so yes, on both sides, I think guys, to both of your questions, I think guys, Shane, they do have that problem um, of, like, like, on the outside, there is that problem, like, if you say something, you might get your head, like, snapped off, yeah. and I, I actually feel sorry for guys, because it also works into personal lives, that it, they don't know how to treat women anymore, because... If they offer to pay, it's almost like, sorry, what do you think I can't afford this? <laughs> and it's like, but you know, on the other side, a lot of women are still like, I, I want to be spoiled. I want, I want you to treat me the way you would yeah. treat like the woman of your dreams. So it's very hard, I think, for guys, but it's also hard for girls because they're expecting, some women are expecting something, some are expecting something else. And yeah, in the work environment that comes up with the, not knowing if, if you're going to, be accused of something just for mm. expressing like I really like your dress. Yeah. It's like what are you there's a sexual harassment. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um beyond yeah. yeah, and, and I have also noticed that women um women that are not in the tech industry have a certain view of women in the tech industry. But I think it's nice when when they get to know women that are in tech fields. Um and we we actually did this really nice inter we'll interview people at our events and we interviewed mm. A bunch of girls at one of our women in tech events and the one girl was like it's like how did you find tonight and she was like well i'm actually not from tech at all and like i had such a stereotype of what women in tech are like mm. and they're not like that at all they're just like me and yeah. and i was just like it's a relief 
like it's, it's obviously very hard for her to open up like that but i was like it's nice that you've said that because that's what other people are thinking yeah and essentially you're going like oh i'm i'm like a typical everyday person that you see that's you know like that standard and it's yeah. like i always thought tech people were like reclusive or something yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. like they're the same as me they're, just, they're the people you see walking on the street because for the most women outside especially younger ones it's more like they think they have to choose between if you're it's like the binary choice of saying well if you it's either you choose to be the pretty girl or the tech girl it's like you can't be you cannot be both to yeah. them it appears like that i don't understand why they see it like that well you know what what the bonus is is that if you if you kind of see that you, that you can combine both or mm. are you I, I think the big key is is like number one is to be who you are like no matter what and yeah. feel safe in that space but yes there is this combination of being beautiful that you can still be beautiful um, and wear makeup and be i don't know like a, a kick-ass coder <laughs> you can yeah you can be a kick-ass coder as well as being someone that is that looks like a supermodel yeah um yeah you can be that it's not that like if you're pretty by default you're going to <laughs> not do coding or something tech but what also ends up happening is that when you're a girl at the moment which will hopefully change but when mm. you are a girl that's in that field that maybe is not as beautiful as as the stereotype people uh, yeah. or sorry is, is is more beautiful than the stereotype that people have they stand out a lot and people are almost like it's it's weird that you're like so beautiful and do that although I feel weird saying that because the thing is, like, it's not like I've met anyone that, that that's ugly that you're like, oh, you feel that stereotype. There's no stereotype. Yeah. So it's hard to say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, it's a tough subject for me, to be honest. I really <laughs> don't understand it that well. I just don't understand why we have less women in the tech. When, while we, when I was growing up in, in school, for example, in high school, primary and high school, most people that were doing well in my classes were women, you know, the, like the top 10 students usually were women. But then if later on in life, the roles that maybe you would pre pre-assume that they would go, they went differently. Like uh, most of them went with social social stuff and stuff like that, which I, I knew some of them would like would probably become engineers or they at least they had some, the interest when they were younger and they just ended up doing something differently. Maybe by choice, maybe not, but uh, it's just a good conversation to to try to understand why it happens. Yeah, and I think at the moment there's not enough there's not enough insight as to why, especially in Africa, as to why girls don't go down that route. Um, like at least a lot of the articles we read are based on like the Western culture oh, yeah, of America sure. and Europe, totally. which isn't us. Mm. Um, as much as it feels like it is in Cape Town, but um, you know, you never know why someone's gone down that route. If it is because they're like, well, you know, the person I want to be one day is like this girl, and she she works in for an NGO and she's helping people socially, and yeah. um, that she's never had that like awesome. That's a great. Like, they need that clear path of where they can go, yeah. or it could be something that they just. Their parents tell them you're not allowed to do that. Sure, you never sure, know. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good call. So where where else are you gonna go after South Africa? In Africa, for example. 
Um, well, I would like to really set everything up properly in Cape Town. And then from there, um, we've got connections with the rest of South Africa and just properly connect these groups, which were all, all the different maker communities and like electronics groups. We're trying to do that so that we better communicate. Right. Um, and there's a conference, I forget where it is, that, um, that I'm going to in July to just help set up some stuff there. In Johannesburg? Um, no, uh, no, 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 somewhere, somewhere in North Africa. Oh, okay. Oh, but nice. I do, I, off the top of my head, I don't remember where it was. It's literally, it's been a while since I've looked at that. Right. But I think first focusing on here, getting getting set up here, the model right where we are, seeing people benefit, then from there, looking at growing. Right. Anything else you would like to share? No. Cool. <laughs> and I think that this is it. Thanks for coming. Cool. Thank you so much for inviting me. Cool. I hope it was informative. Yeah, it was. It was much cool. fun.